This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Me damn sure the pilot washed his hands and sealed his face. Yes, I am pleased to meet you, and I hope you guess my name. But I would add to that that what's puzzling you is actually not the nature of my game, because my name is Douglas Everett, the host of this program, Radio Parallax. But we're hoping today you will guess our number, which on our website, radioparallax.com, is show number 666. which, thanks to some hallucinatory writings in the Bible's Book of Revelations, evidently written by a John of Patmos, not the John Gospel writer, but another John, who apparently spent a little too much time out in the hot sun in the desert. And to quote from one of our sources, one of our many sources for today's program, which in this case is Ken's Guide to the Bible, Ken Smith informs us that the Book of Revelations is hands down the Bible's most deranged adding his editorial opinion that if the epistles attributed to John can be seen as John on pot, then the book of Revelation is John on acid. And I think that gives you a taste of what we're going to devote most of today's program to, which is going to be our long-awaited look at Satan, the Beast, Beelzebub, Diabolus, Mammon, Mephistopheles, and other popular names such as Dick Cheney. He does indeed have many names, and because of his importance to Western thought, we're going to devote today's program to him, or I guess in some cases, her. I'm not sure you can find a better devil, now that I think about it, than Elizabeth Hurley in the remake of Bedazzled. But we'll talk about the devil in art and literature mainly in our second segment. Our first segment today is going to bulldoze the boilerplate by which we normally start this program and put it, I don't know, probably in our third segment. In our first segment today, we're going to take the plunge right into talking about Lucifer. We have come to realize in doing our research that he is not who you think he is. And by that, I don't mean the guy with the red face, the pointy beard, the horns, the bat wings, the cloven hooves, the legs of a goat, and of course, that long tail with the heart-shaped appendage at the end. That devil is a fairly modern invention and regarded as a figure of folklore, except by certain, perhaps, hardcore religious fundamentalists who swear he's a real person. While you may not regard Satan as a real person, dear listener, there are some real people out there in history that pretty much brought him to us. But the most shocking thing you may learn today on this program is that um, the origins of the devil do not go back to the Old Testament. You'd think they would, but they don't. I am the god of hellfire, and I bring you fire. I'll take you to burn. 
And if you're a regular listener to this program, and we certainly hope you are, you knew that we wouldn't get through this hour without hitting the crazy world of Arthur Brown's fire. But it's a good point for us to start, because when you pick up your Old Testament and take a look at it, there is no God of hellfire. And I know some of you at this point are saying, what? We all know that in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that the devil appears as the serpent who tempts Eve, and because she's female and therefore vulnerable and, you know, a problem, she eats the fruit from the forbidden tree, and of, and of course then all humanity is stuck with original sin. At least this is the kind of nonsense that you're fed in catechism in your youth and perhaps in other venues as well. I can only speak for what I was told back when I was an impressionable youth. But alas, on further inspection, it turns out that nowhere in the Old Testament is the serpent identified with the person or concept we now hold as the devil. No, it was just a talking snake, a concept something on par with Francis the Talking Mule or Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. But before we go back in time, we do have to cite the fact that, you know, the whole idea for this show being dedicated to the devil comes from the book of Revelations, association of the number 666 as belonging to that of the beast. So we must rightfully begin there. And, uh, by taking care not to get lost in the quicksand of the book of Revelations, I will just summarize it briefly as follows. To quote from Ken's guide, the book of Revelations is one that describes the end of the earth. Apocalypse is the Greek for revelation and the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. John, the writer, asserts that this revelation was given to him by Jesus, whom he describes as having glowing feet and a sword sticking out of his mouth. This is typical of John's attention to detail. Unlike the apocalypse described in the book of Daniel, which is complicated and murky, John's vision, while complex, is pinpoint specific. John provides the only biblical description of heaven, by the way. Along the way, the writer John notes that 144,000 living people who will be deemed worthy of salvation during the final judgment. Oh, and by the way, one criteria for purity is that they did not defile themselves with women, which I suppose to one way of thinking means that heaven will have to be populated by straight women. But I digress. According to the book of Revelations, Jesus in heaven resembles a dead lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. He winds up pulling seals off a scroll held by God and various calamities then ensue. After various plagues and mishaps, a couple of prophets appear on earth, packing some deadly supernatural powers. And they torment mankind, after which they're killed by, quote, the beast, unquote, and go to hell. About this time, war breaks out in heaven. Evidently, the angel Michael will triumph and hurl the devil down to earth. The devil then teams up with the second beast, not the original beast, and they make life miserable for God's chosen people for 42 months. Then the first beast reappears and forces everyone either to worship the second beast or be killed. The worshipers receive the mark of the beast. A whole lot of other goofy stuff takes place, but let's focus in on the mark of the beast. This comes from the book of Revelations. Book 13, verse 18. This actual number of 666 is mentioned just once. Oddly enough, in the earliest surviving scraps that we have of this particular passage, the number is apparently 616. But we naturally are going to stick with 666. And of course, the mark of this beast who's mixed up with the Antichrist and Lucifer and all sorts of devilry 
is why in the popular imagination, the devil has that number. But let's hold this view of the devil from the book of Revelations and even from the New Testament and turn the clock back to what most of the Bible consists of, which is the Old Testament. There are 39 books to the Old Testament, starting with Genesis and ending with Malachi. The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are considered the Torah or Pentateuch. It was originally claimed that they were written by Moses, but it's now certain that that is not correct. Now, you'd think that talking snakes aside, you'd be able to find the devil somewhere in the Old Testament. And uh, you will find Satan, but it's clear that he's not who you think he is. We should note, by the way, that those books of the Bible are not in order. Turns out the 17th book, that of Esther, and the 27th, that of Daniel, were probably written last. But we'll come to that in a minute. And regarding those first five books to the Bible, or Pentateuch, they apparently come from three different sources. A source labeled J from about 950 B.C., a source labeled E from about 750 B.C., and a source labeled P from about 539 B.C. If you search the Old Testament for the term Satan, you will find him, but you will not find the devil of popular culture. The word Satan refers to three different concepts, none of which are the devil. The first concept for Satan is one acting as an accuser or enemy. Example, 1 Samuel 29, 4. The, the Philistines were distrustful of David, fearing he would be a Satan, which translates as an adversary or someone who will turn against us. Or, or let's look at 1 Kings 5, 4. King Solomon is talking to Hiram, the king of Tyre, and says that now that there is neither Satan nor bad luck to stop him, he can build the temple. Again, Satan, this concept, an adversary, an enemy, one who opposes. Then we have Satan in the sense of a divine messenger sent by God as an adversary, such as Numbers 22.22. God appears in a dream, telling Balaam to go with the princes of Moab to meet Balak. But when Balaam sets out the next morning on his donkey, God is angry with him for some reason and sends an angel-slash-messenger to kill him. The donkey saw the angel and took evasive actions. The angel was evidently invisible to Balaam, who beat the animal. The donkey then asks Balaam why he had beat her three times. Balaam, who apparently doesn't seem to realize that a talking donkey is someone unusual, replies. The angel then appears and explains why he has come as a Satan to kill him. Again, this translates as one who opposes an adversary. And the third sense of Satan from the Old Testament is a member of God's inner council. In other words, the chief prosecutor of heaven. Examples in this case, Job's 1 and 2. Satan is described as one of the members of the court of heaven. God mentions that he is impressed with the behavior of Job, a blameless man who's lived an upright life. Satan attributes Job's commendable behavior to his good fortune and says that Job would soon curse God if he had a string of really bad luck. God decides to conduct an experiment with Job. So he then instructs Satan to destroy all that Job has, kill his animals, murder his employees, and murder his innocent children. But after withstanding these disasters, Job still does not curse God. So God instructs Satan to up the ante by returning to earth and destroying Job's health. Here, Satan is portrayed as a servant of God whose task it is to dutifully carry out evil deeds at God's instruction. Thus, there are no passages within the older parts of the Hebrew Scriptures, and by that we mean pretty much the Old Testament, wherein Satan is portrayed as an evil devil, the archenemy of God and of humanity. At most, he is described as a henchman who carries out God's evil instructions. There's no dualism here between two powerful supernatural entities, an all-good God 
and an all-evil Satan. God is portrayed as performing directly and indirectly both kind and evil deeds. You know, rather famously like when plagues are sent or when there's a great genocidal flood to kill off all of humanity except for lucky Noah, his family, and and I guess a few you know pairs of dinosaurs if you're a biblical literalist. But yeah, we're talking about like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because its residents were abusive to the needy. Bad stuff happens and it's all at God's doorstep. The fact of the matter is the ancient writers of early Hebrew scriptures looked upon Yahweh or Jehovah as performing both good and evil deeds, such as in Lamentations 3.37. Who has commanded and it came to pass unless the Lord has ordained it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and evil come? So, in the Old Testament, good and evil both come from the Almighty. Now, in the Old Testament, the earliest books are thought to date to about 950 B.C., with the last being Malachi at about 400 B.C. Those other volumes we mentioned, that of Daniel and Esther, were clearly written sometime around 165 B.C., as they refer to events taking place clearly in the Seleucid Empire, which we'll come to in a minute. Because they couldn't openly finger their adversaries and the people that were, you know, making life difficult for the Hebrews, they pretended that the books were set in an earlier time, centuries earlier. But between the exception of these two volumes, between the time of Malachi and the first Gospels, there is a gap of damn near 500 years. When we get to the New Testament, and by the way, the New Testament is still, in essence, Jewish literature, It's written by Jews, about Jews, for Jews. Well, except for the fact that Jesus tends to transcend Judaism somewhere along the way. But there is a gap here. Old Testament, no devil. New Testament, devil's all over the place. I mean, from the three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get the story of the devil tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And yet it strikes me as a bit odd that John failed to mention it. So we have this oddity between the time they are writing volumes of the Old Testament and between the time the works in the New Testament show up. Well, the devil got in the details, to which Mr. Malone would add, and he's been there ever since. Now, it is worthy of note that uh, the devil starts making an appearance in other religious writings that are not, strictly speaking, part of the Old Testament. They're part of the Apocrypha, the Greek word meaning hidden. How did this happen? Well, we have to, I think, cite the person who came up with the concept that we know of today as the devil. And while older religions do have concepts of a trickster, evil spirits, etc., we at Radio Parallax take the position that the devil has a single person as an inventor. Which might be a good time to mention that that opinion, like all those who are on this program, especially on today's program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But in the opinion of Radio Parallax, the concept of the devil goes back to a man named Zoroaster. Yes, you'd think this concept of Lucifer would come from the deserts of Israel, but it looks more like the origins are in northern Iran. Zoroaster lived from approximately 628 B.C. to 551 B.C. He founded a new religion that rejected the previous polytheistic worship of the area, and replaced it with one that was basically monotheistic with an odd twist. In this new religion, to be called Zoroastrianism, 
The worship of a single male god, Ahura Mazda, was invoked. He was considered the sovereign lawmaker, the supreme judge, the master of day and night, the center of nature, and the inventor of moral law. He created the heavens and the earth. In short, he had all the attributes credited to Jehovah by the ancient Israelites, but of course with a different name. Zoroaster recognized that Ahura Mazda had a twin brother, Angramanyu, known today as Ahriman, whom we can consider the god of evil. The only things that Ahriman created were snakes, all the world's evil, and demons. By the way, in a pattern that would be repeated by Christianity, all the old gods of the previous polytheistic religions became demons in the new faith. Thus it was that Ahriman became the first devil the world has seen, and his assistants became the first cohort of demons under the control of an all-evil deity. The listener may find it curious that Zoroaster taught that Ahura Mazda and Ahriman would continually battle each other until the god of evil is finally defeated. At that time, the dead will be resurrected. The last judgment will divide all the people that have lived into two groups, and the bad go to heaven for all eternity, and the good go to paradise. Some have pointed out that the framework for the three monotheisms of Western culture, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, had now been erected. The author, Gerald Messendi, said, the devil's birth certificate was filled out by an Iranian prophet. Now, soon after the time of Zoroaster, the nation of Iran became quite a world power under Cyrus the Great. And in Iran, Zoroastrianism became the state religion. So how did the state religion of Iran wind up influencing the religion of the Hebrew people? Well, we're glad you asked. Before we do that, I want to pause to do a quote about Satan, which we're going to do throughout the program today. In this case, I'd like to cite the immortal Mark Twain. Said Twain, I have no special regard for Satan. I can at least claim that I have no prejudice against him. It may even be that I lean a little his way on account of his not having a fair show. All religions issue Bibles against him and say the most injurious things about him, and we never hear his side. We have none but evidence for the prosecution, and yet we have rendered the verdict. We may not pay him reverence, for that would be indiscreet, but we can at least respect his talents. A person who has for untold centuries maintained the imposing position of spiritual head of four-fifths of the human race and political head of the whole of it must be granted the possession of executive abilities of the loftiest order. So we can say this. The concept of the devil as part of this dualism of spiritual beings, of Zoroastrianism, did make its way west into Western thought which causes Radio Parallax to award the number two position in The Men Who Brought You the Devil to Alexander the Great. We realize you may not have heard anyone else making the case for this, but we think we can do it. If we go back to the 4th or 5th century BC, we find Zoroastrianism with this concept familiar to us as the devil holding court in Iran, but unknown in the West at which point the young world conqueror, Alexander, comes out of Macedonia and begins conquering everything he can get his hands on. In the year 334 BC, at age 22, Alexander attacks and eventually defeats the Persian Empire. Alexander then creates a Hellenistic Empire which blends what is today Greece, Egypt, Israel, Palestine, 
Iraq, Iran, and a handful of today's stands under one flag, as it were. A lot of Greek ideas went east, getting as far as India. And at this time, a lot of eastern ideas went west. Among those Persian concepts that went west were the immortality of the soul, the concept of angels, and of course, Satan. Thus, in this time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Satan goes from being an adversary, a helper to God, or the prosecuting attorney of heaven, into the source of evil in the world. And in doing this, God was taken off the hook for being the source of both evil and good in the world. From this point forward, God was seen as all good, and the devil the source of all that's bad. By the way, I suppose it may surprise some people to realize that uh, in mainstream Judaism, there is no concept of a devil, as in mainstream Christianity or Islam. But if you don't believe us, look it up. Now, in the writings that are being put down in this time between the Testaments, I guess you might say, these apocryphal writings did start to show evidence of this devil concept. In the Book of Wisdom, the devil is represented as one who brought death into the world. The second book of Enoch contains references to an angel called Satanel, who was cast out of heaven. He was an evil spirit who knew the difference between what was righteous and sinful. Now, a lot of the names that get added on to Satan in later religious writings, like in the New Testament, represent in some cases misidentification. Lucifer, although it's been noted that the reference in Isaiah 14.12 is to the son of the morning, it's thought that's reference to a Babylonian king. Beelzebub is a New Testament synonym for Satan. It was originally the name of a Philistine god. We should tell a bit of relevant history in this time period between the Testaments. The area of Judea, today's Israel and Palestine, was part of the Hellenistic Empire, as we mentioned. I think it was originally part of the Ptolemaic, or Egyptian part of the empire, but later got switched to the Seleucid Empire. These names have to do with the generals of Alexander. These two guys divided a couple of the more choice morsels among Alexander's Hellenistic Empire. Ptolemy took Egypt, and Seleucus took the old Persian part of the realm. It was during this time, between about 165 B.C. and about 134 B.C., that the various Maccabeans, this group of brothers, led a Jewish revolt against the Seleucid Empire. They did eventually triumph, and for about 100 years, the region was again ruled by Jews. This lasted till 63 B.C., when Pompey, on his way to Egypt, stopped in and decided just to annex the whole damn place into the Roman administrative area of Syria. So... By way of review, Old Testament, no devil. Apocryphal writings during the time of the Hellenistic Empire, we start to see the Persian influence moving west. And then we get to the New Testament, and there's devils all over the place. Now, the devil makes an appearance as sort of a cartoony character in the Gospels, but it's really the writings of Paul that flesh him out. In fact, we would have to regard Paul of Tarsus, better known to history as St. Paul, as probably the third person most responsible for bringing us the devil. To quote from some of the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 11:12, Satan is seen as being responsible for false teachings by, quote, false apostles, deceitful workers, unquote. In 1 Thessalonians 2:17, Satan actually directly hinders Paul's travels. In 1 Corinthians 5, 5, it's explained that once a believer is excommunicated, he will no longer be protected by God. At that point, Satan will torment him and perhaps purify him. Which leads us up to what we would consider to be the fourth person that brought us the devil, 
John of Patmos, the writer of the book of Revelations. And such things as Revelation 12, 9, Satan is viewed as a great dragon, and his fallen angels were cast down to earth. Revelations 2, 8, Satan is portrayed as the power behind the Roman Empire's persecution of the Christians. Revelations 22, Satan gets bound and sealed into an abyss for a thousand years so he can no longer deceive the nations of the earth. Of course, in Revelations 27, he gets released after his thousand-year incarceration, then begins deceiving the nations and gathering together for war, which he loses. We should probably return to Ken's Guide to the Bible to note that among biblical figures, the devil hardly makes the top ten. Author Ken notes that despite the importance of Satan to Christian fundamentalists, yeah, among the top ten in the Bible's pantheons of movers and shakers, well, well, he always loses. Oh, and by the way, in the Bible, nobody sells a soul to the devil. We have Faust to thank for that, but we'll get to that later. By the time the New Testament comes to an end, we have a new alternative to God, the Almighty. And he comes not from the original Hebrew scriptures, but from those of Zoroaster. Now, of course, the church and uh, secular authorities were hardly done with the devil. By the time we come to the end of the New Testament, he got refined and mixed up with all sorts of concepts. Let's mention those of St. Augustine because I like them. St. Augustine, who lived between 354 and 430 AD, invented a new type of demon, a kind of sexual tormentor. These were the incubi, which were male fallen angels who sexually attacked women in the nighttime and brought them immense sexual pleasure. And their corresponding succubi, which were female fallen angels who copulated with men during their sleep. So for those men out there who ever have experienced a uh, nighttime emission, it wasn't your fault, it was a succubus. And by the way, if you can devise a punchline (laughs) to the question, succubus, I thought you said dot dot dot, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. All right, although the devil is not fully formed in our narrative, we must take a break, which we will naturally bed with some devilish music. In this case, I think we'll go with a musical selection from the smash Broadway hit, Damn Yankees. In this entertaining version of the Faust legend, the devil gets mixed up with a baseball player. By the way, this correspondent uh, lucked upon seeing Jerry Lewis in the role of Applegate in the stage production in San Francisco of Damn Yankees. And although I guess it's odd to say that Jerry Lewis has shaped this correspondence concept of the devil, by God he has. But in this case, we have Ray Walston, better known to you as My Favorite Martian, from the original stage production of Damn Yankees, singing about the good old days. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We've got a lot more in segments two and three. Stick around. I see Bonaparte, a mean one. If ever I've seen one And Nero fiddling through That lovely blaze Antoinette, dainty queen With her quaint guillotine (laughs) Those were the good old days I see Indians dragging An empty covered wagon When scalping the settlers was the latest craze And that glorious morn, Jack the Ripper was born Yeah, those were the good old 